0: I get home, I pour a little glass of wine, play some music, and cook. Now, I could spend literally half an hour cooking, but to me, I've done three things that I like in that half an hour.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Rhinoplasty Podcast with me, Dr. Cameron McIntosh. We're in the month of June, and the theme for the month is the Evolvers, those guys who have over the years evolved even when faced by new techniques, etc. And uh, this is brought to us by Vectra from Canfield Scientific, this 3D camera system, which I think is marvelous. So uh, shout out to Vectra for enabling this. On today's show, we have a remarkable man. Uh, it's a great honor to welcome Alvain D'Souza, all the way from London, UK. Alvain, thank you so much for being on the show
0: today. Thank you very much, Cameron. And thank you very much for your very kind uh, invitation and introduction. Great to see you. So,
1: yeah, it's great to see Alvain. And it's great to chat. There's so much stuff to talk about. Um, so just to kind of put in perspective, to, to, to I want to um, for the listeners to realize who they're speaking to, is your days of editing the one of the foremost international journals. Tell us a little bit about that.
0: Right. Okay. So, uh, as you already said, it is a you know fantastic journal, focuses exclusively on facial plastic surgery, and um, I think you know. Uh, Academics is something I've had a lot of interest in always, and my interest always has been actually, uh, you know, getting that kind of academics in the public arena that is useful for people. You know, yes, there are lots of basic science research journals and things like that, but our journal is unique. And editing this journal is not easy uh, simply because you often have to refuse uh, manuscripts from your close friends. And they don't like it, you know. But I think fairness is the policy here. So I love what I do. It does take a lot of my time. And I think any spare time I used to have is gone with the journal. But nonetheless, I think it's probably the most rewarding thing that I've, I'm have i doing now. So great opportunity. So I'm sitting on the other
1: side of the fence. I've got to try and get the, the potential papers to you. But- yeah, sometimes it's, it's so difficult to, mo- I find it to motivate myself to, like, I want to be operating and, and spending time with patients, but, you know, you have to publish as well. How do you guys, it must surely be frustrating as an editor at times, working with us plebs who are trying to publish, because you've got guys who are pushing for publications, and then on the other hand, you've got guys who have been accepted, but they're not doing the work. How do you manage those two?
0: Okay, I think it is organization and it is being clear in terms of what you want. Uh, now, I I love seeing my patients, but I do set time aside and that time aside is just for the journals. That is one thing. But I think the most important thing is having that organization and making sure you stick to your lines. You know, For example, uh, when I get new fellows, they are told that they have to have so many publications and the ideas come from me. And I think, Cameron, what is important for all of us to understand is some of us are good at publishing, some of us are good at planning, some of us are good at executing things. So I think for me, I know that personally, I can plan things, I can come up with ideas, but I need someone to execute my ideas. And that is where you have to be very clear as to how you do it. So you've got to get after people a little bit. But when they see the reward at the end of it, they love it, you know. But it is discipline. It is engaging in what you want to do well and enjoying it. If you don't enjoy it, you can't do it. Okay, so shifting a little bit from that role, another
1: massive role that you run at the moment is being the, the president of the European um, society. Facial Plastic surgery, how did that end up, um, you, how did you end up in that role, should I ask?
0: Right, okay, so, um, you know, just to go back a little bit, you know, I, I, I came from, I trained in India, and from India, I moved a leap to the UK, and the idea was, get my FRCS and then move on. So once I came to the UK, obviously I met my partner who I'm married now, and then we settled in the UK. But the bottom line is, how did I get into facial plastics? Now, if I can say this, that I think if I was not a surgeon or if I was in another country where I had a lot of training in art, I probably would have become an artist, you know? So that's the bottom line. So. Uh, because I became a doctor and I always loved art and I looked at and and I must say, I've been a pretty good surgeon overall. It's not my own making, but it's what my trainers have said to me. So I thought, OK, I want to create something artistic. So then I went into visual plastics. And, you know, I have uh, I I did a little bit of training with Vito Cotella at one stage and he said to me one day, if you wait long enough, the things that you want, they come to you, but you got to be patient. So I've been waiting and, you know, a time came when, you know, it was, I had to run for some elections and, you know, luckily people actually chose me as the president. And I think, but be, be behind that, I had put in years of work, you know, so, so it's taken a long time, you know, but I'm enjoying it completely. Um, It is not the easiest of jobs simply because, again, it's a, uh, you know, you got to work with other groups of people, other surgeons. You also got to look after your own. And I think the bottom line is you got to be fair in this game, you know. And I hope that most people who have worked with me know that I'm quite fair. And I do say things sometimes people may not like or sometimes they like what I say. But I think generally, you know, um, it is a hard one, but it's an absolutely enjoyable one. You know, running for the elections was the hardest part because, you know, that's when you think if I if I don't win, am I going to be able to swallow this? But then
1: that's life. (laughs) Well, I'm glad you won because, I mean, I'm such a proud member of the society. I think it does so much work. eh? So, you know, this podcast going to 70 countries around the world. Give a pitch now on why and how people should become members of the society.
0: Okay, right. So uh, now, you know, a few years ago, um, and my dear friend and I would say a fantastic colleague, we all know, Fazila Pahedin, you know, set out to, literally transformed the facial plastic surgery, uh, you know, in Europe, the Academy of European Academy of Facial Plastic Surgery, I think transformed with him taking over. The first thing that he did and we did, and I think we had a good group of, uh, you know, people working together. We thought the first thing is the education. And as you know, we uploaded number of videos. Frankly, uh, Cameron, you know, that we you don't need to buy a textbook if you're a member of this academy. You know, and you know, without overstating, I think we have more educational material on our website than any other facial plastic you know society. I won't name this society, but it is true. And moreover, in my last newsletter I said what we want to is load more And one more thing I want to also mention here is for all the members and or those who want to join. It's not about watching the best surgical procedures done in the most perfect manner. I'm asking now people to load on videos that where we sometimes don't get things completely right, but we learn from those mistakes. And one of the things I'm doing is, you know, getting those kinds of things. in, so it's going to be an ongoing education. And my next role also is that I want to set up those videos in such a way that we have the basic ones, we have the intermediate and the advanced ones. So, like I said, you will not need a textbook. You don't have to buy series. You don't have to, you know, and, and you can actually watch those. And moreover, we will also have a channel where if one has a specific question, let's say, you know, Cameron Macintosh does this technique in a particular way and somebody watches it, and they don't know how you're doing that, you know, we would ask your permission for the person to contact you and say, Dr. McIntosh, how do you do it? Can we actually, you know, learn this from you, you know? So those are the things, so in other words, I want to make this society more, um, you know, easily, you know, reachable for everybody, and certainly those well-established surgeons you know can be reached by anybody across the world no matter how junior or how senior you are so no one feels left out so and i think that is the ethos you know with our society now and with the with the academy i would like people to join simply because of that and then remember you get your meetings at a reduced rate you get journals at a reduced rate uh, and you have number of videos you know, so I, I think there's nothing particularly lacking. And if there is something lacking, I would be very interested to hear from anybody so we can fix it.
1: That's awesome. You know, old Fazel had a huge impact on my career and on rhinoplasty in South Africa. He was our founding international godfather, if you want to call it that way. So it's great. Yes. Um, so, I mean, these are two huge roles, editing international journal, uh, um, the president of the association. Another massive part is your clinical work. But before we chat about the clinical work, because I've got a few questions around that is two things I want to touch base on. The one is how do you find balance in your life between all this stuff and kind of very closely related to it is what do you do for downtime? Because you can't be carrying on like this. (laughs) I mean, we, we have to rest at times and do other things. So, how do you go about that?
0: Right, okay. So let me count to the downtime first of all. Um, you know, I love music. Okay. I love a nice glass of wine. And I love to cook. So I can do all three, you know. So if I get half an hour and typically, you know, Sometimes I start operating at 7 o'clock in the morning, and I finish around 7 o'clock in the evening. I get home, I pour a little glass of wine, play some music, and cook. Now, I could spend literally half an hour cooking, but to me, I've done three things that I like in that half an hour. So I've relaxed for one and a half hours. And on those days when I'm really, really tired, Cameron, I think before I start anything of this sort, I need a good glass of water and I do five minutes of rowing, literally five minutes, you know. And now I'm not a great, I'm not a rower at all, but it really, for me, you know, um, just swimming and rowing are two, you know, exercises or two activities, I think, that are non-impact activities because I've got a slightly, you know, ankle that can trouble me sometimes. And rowing does great. But it's only five minutes. I I'm, I don't claim here to be, you know, doing anything more than that. So, so for me, you see, within that half an hour, 40 minutes, I've done three things that I love to do, uh, which means I've relaxed enough. You know, so and hopefully I'll get more time to do these things um, in the future. And again, you know, one of my passion and probably eventually I might write a book on cooking and the facial plastic surgeon. I'll
1: be the first one to
0: buy it. (laughs) That would be great. so, So, yeah. So, But that will come not in, the, not in the next few years, but it's on its way at some stage, uh, you know.
1: You know what you should consider doing is getting some of the guys from around the world to add recipes to something like that. Because, I mean, you guys, the society has, I don't know, how many nations belong to the society? Members do you have from it how many both. nations?
0: I, I think we got a large number, Cameron. I don't have a you know figure at hand because we have literally every you know i i always say east west you know mid everything you know um you know we we have you know obviously we have we have south africa we have uh india you know, we have Australia, we have United States, you know, uh, we have the Middle East. I think, you know, we we have a large number. The
1: Plastic you know. yeah. cookbook with a facial plastic surgery cookbook. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Let's get down into dig deep into some uh, clinical stuff. And off yeah. air, we were chatting about two things. Um, so try and explain, I, I, I need to understand and our listeners need to understand. What is a signature nose?
0: Right, okay. So I think if you look at it from the traditional sense, um, and I see this a lot in London, you know, uh, when I look at noses, you can pretty much tell who has done that nose. In other words, you know, either ski slope or, you know, a defined tip, uh, or you have an ailer that has been reduced, and they all look beautiful. But, you know, it, it is literally there are surgeons who create a particular type of nose. I think for me, we I have moved away from that a long time ago. And I think for me, a signature nose is a patient's own nose. In other words, what the patient wants. Granted, Sometimes you have to educate the patient saying that certain things they ask for are either not in their best interest or they can't be achieved. So for me, the signature nose is a nose where when the patient comes to me, I ask them, what is that one thing that you really don't like about your nose? And I try and deal with that. Now, Typically, when we speak to surgeons, and this is across the board, I guess, we all talk about at meetings, you know, well, you know, the radix angle is not right, you know, this is deviated, or the ailer, one side is slightly bigger than the other, and all that is fine, you know. We can talk about all those deviations, all those minor irregularities. But to me, a signature nose is a nose that the patient wants. And the nose that fits the patient's face. And I think that is absolutely crucial. And I guess I've come to this conclusion, Cameron, not so much because um I don't believe in all these aesthetic principles. It's mainly because of the population that I work with. You know, London is a very mixed, you know, population. I have people obviously, you know, the just sort of Caucasians, you know, we have the Indians, we have the African noses, we have every type of nose that you can actually think of, and I think we have a m- bigger mixture of any other possibly any other place in the world you know and for me I, I actually see patients from all you know ethnic origins, if you like, if that 's the right term to use. But the signature nose for me is it has to fit that person's face. And, 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 I think, and, that's, and I think there's a skill in doing that. And the skill is, first of all, understanding different populations as to what they like and what they don't like. And sometimes educate them that uh, you know, an Indian uh, face will not handle a typical Caucasian well, nose well. Yeah,
1: yeah. You know, so so. That's also closely related to the other topic we're speaking about is the skin soft tissue envelope. You know, not yeah. Ne- yeah. forget about just what the nose looks like, but I mean, the skin has such yeah. a, and I think sometimes it's something we don't speak enough about in in our meetings.
0: Absolutely, and and, and look, the first thing that we I I say is that every bit of aesthetics, you know, uh, we talk about, you know, how the skin looks, what the face looks like, what the nose looks like. A lot of it is based on actually taking people's photographs, you know. So you take a photograph, the first thing people look at is the photograph. How do I look in the photo? And more so now with Zooms and things like that. So now how your nose looks is very much dependent on how the, you know, skin reflects light because that's what it's what the camera sees, and camera sees the light. If the So for me, I think typically managing the skin in nasal surgery is absolutely crucial, you know. And I think we don't talk enough about it, and, and I think it's because we don't know enough about it. And I think as surgeons, we got to understand, we need to understand the skin and how it works. Now, how did I come about this? You know, I'm very passionate about skin and, uh, you know, what is under the skin apart from the, you know, bony and cartilaginous structure. I mean, I'll give you an example. We could take a piezo so, and we can polish the nose really, really, really nicely. You know, you can get it very refined. Really but if your skin has got lots of sebaceous glands, it's it's wasted effort, you know so i think the important thing here to understand is it's like having a you know you, you know one could go and buy a ferrari if you don't polish that ferrari it is never going to look good if you park two ferraris you know that are brand new. One is not polished and one is polished. Everybody will look at the polished one. You know, you go to a showroom, everybody looks at the polished one. You look at the red carpet, you know, uh, the celebrities, the first thing they do is they go and have a little bit of probably radio frequency treatment on their face, on their nose. So I think polishing the skin is very important. And Also, it is not just how the skin works in terms of lighting, in terms of camera, and how we look. The skin also has got a significant effect on how our, you know, nose moves. For example, if one has a completely deviated nose, uh, you know, I use botulinum toxin to actually paralyze the muscles around the nose. And I say to my patient, you will look like a bit like a mask face for a while. And we might have to do that for almost one year, because I think it is important to understand your muscles are used to pulling your nasal bones and your nasal you know, cartilages in a particular way. They, they are attached and they pull it in a particular way. Now, if you have changed that direction and you got a nose straight that has been bent, unless you paralyze those muscles until such time that your underlying skeleton you know gets a bit more stable you are going to see this recurrent deviation and in my opinion often that is the reason why people notice this deviation people notice these changes long time after so I think there's a lot to be said about it. You know, I could go on talking about it for a long, long time. But I often feel that, you know, managing the muscles, managing the skin is very important because that's what pulls. Because, you know, if, for example, if you have an injury on your elbow, you can see the contracture. But in the nose underlying, you may not see the contracture, but you've got to deal with it. you got to anticipate what you're going to get from it, you know. And I think that is important for me. That's why SSTE, you know, is very important in my opinion. And I I spend a lot of time, I use various things, starting from, uh, you know, creams, vitamin A creams, lasers, sometimes radio frequency, a lot of botulinum toxins. I use all of those, you know.
1: And that is fascinating. I didn't, this is what's so interesting. So, okay, let's focus on Botox and the nose is this now pre-peri-post-operative? And uh, I mean, I'm just putting it out there. Is this is this only on deviated oh, noses or across the board on your rhinoplasties?
0: No. Okay, I'll give you a straight example here. You know, somebody has got a, a person, you know, we are trying to augment a deep radix. What do we do? We put a radix graft, okay? So let's think w- which muscle... Has got the biggest influence on radix, that is the procerus, you know, and possibly nasalis, but mainly the you know Now, if you have a strong procerus, you can put the radix graft, and yes, we can say that we will stabilize the graft, we will put it you know under the you know periosteum or wherever, or bury it in the muscle and whatnot. But you know, we all know that radix grafts move. Why do they move? Because you know, we talk about actually, you know, if you look at the books, people will say, oh, yes, you know, you've done a radic grafting, you know, tape it for 10 days, leave the tape for two more weeks till you actually, you know, but two weeks is not enough. So you put a good bit of Botox in that, all that patient gets is a paralyzed procedures for about three, four, five, six months, but by then your graft is solid in place. Yeah, just, it just stays there. Okay, so that's one area where I use uh, uh, botulinum t- toxin in a pretty big dose. But it is a large dose, but it's a highly c- concentrated amount, so you don't get Botox going everywhere. It's a small volume, but a large dose. And when I'm talking about large dose, I, I'm i t- speaking pro- probably even 30 to 50 units, depending on the muscle, body, which is not what I use in aesthetic you know, uh, foreheads. The other thing, let's now take the other situation where um, I have, let's say, typically or African or a Chinese origin patient who's got a flat nose, want their nose lifted up a little bit. So I go and put a graft that goes right from the radix up to the tip, you know, elevate everything. They come to your clinic and then they say, this looks great, but you know, I don't like this bulk because what you've done is you elevated partly the procerus and you've stuck your graft under there and now your procerus is higher than it was before. And typically what they get is almost like an angry face to the procerus. Now, in those cases, I put the Botox, again, large unit of Botox, and that putting the Botox in generally, you know, gives you some muscle atrophy. I might have to repeat it. So those are two very classic examples. It's fantastic. Yeah. You know, and we don't talk about this. And it's, you know why we don't talk about this? Because a lot of us don't know much about it. You know, and as you probably know, you know, I I do a range of things and and it's something that I'm, I'm very, very passionate about. Same thing with, you know, Ella Flares sometimes. You know, even if you have divided the muscles, even if you try to correct the of flare, you want that muscle to be paralysed for a while when the scar sets in and when that flaring becomes less of an issue. Okay. And I think that is important. And patients will tolerate this post-operatively, immediately post-operatively very well.
1: So that was my question is when do you give the injections?
0: Right, okay. So uh, I do them during surgery. Um, You know, because... Ideally, I would like to do it probably three days prior to the surgical procedure. Often we don't, you know, either the patients don't come and we used to do it prior to the surgical procedure, but now because of the COVID self-isolation rules and things like that, I do it during surgery. So every, um, you know, uh, augmentation that I do, Cameron, I use a lot of of botulinum toxins simply because you know, most people won't believe me. I always say, I don't fix my graphs. I don't fix my graphs because of a simple reason. I don't think, I mean, I raise a precise pocket when I put these graphs in, but even within those, the graphs can move. And the movement is related. I mean, what moves the graphs, you know, apart from patient's fingers, what moves the graphs is the muscles. And and some people have more, ac- and, and we, you know, so, uh, If you buy a book on facial expressions, you know, um, and you look at what muscles work and how they work, you will suddenly realize I'm missing a big trick here. So that is how I deal, you know, with some of these noses.
1: Guys, so those listeners out there, this is what this (laughs) academy is about, you know, this is a little pearl, an absolute pearl that you can bring to your rhinoplasty practice. So you want to get more pearls, get to the congresses, get onto their webinars and stuff. Yeah. She's, Alvane, I'm, I'm kind of, um, I don't know if I actually want to talk more because there's so much to think about. It's it's great. You know, I, uh, you know, with cooking, you want to have just savor that you don't want to have too much. And I think what you've made for us here has been fantastic. Eh? So thank you. Yeah. Um, on behalf of all the listeners around the world, uh, thanks. Vector. obviously big shout out to you guys as well. Um, yeah. I mean, I've got lots more things to, to ask, but sometimes we need to respect just the, the little pearls and just like, like digest them, you know? So, uh, and I'll, i actually, I'm going to make a call on, 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 today's show at this point. Yeah. So thank you.
0: Cameron, thanks a lot. And I would like to thank, all the you know sponsors, you know, because I think without them this wouldn't happen. And you know, thanks to you, Cameron, I think you are doing a fantastic job. And and you know, like what can I say? I I always say you know, Olympic athlete, you know, your stamina is phenomenal and is precious. You know, keep that up. And you know, thanks for having me on. And hopefully I'll see you soon in awesome. person. And and
1: guys, come back for next week for another show.